Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing vaginal discharge. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any and all guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, welcome back to Take Orally. And um, this is our second episode of the uh, genitourinary medicine series. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing vaginal discharge. And once again, we're joined by Dr. Katie Bogue. Hello, Katie. Hi. Uh, ST6 in Community Sexual Reproductive Health. Uh, so... Vaginal discharge, not something I ever thought I'd say on this podcast. <laughs> uh, let's start from the beginning then. Uh, what causes vaginal discharge? So some vaginal discharge is normal. So most women will have some degree of discharge and the purpose of it is to keep the vagina lubricated. Otherwise, when we walked around, there would be a lot of friction and it would be very sore. So we need some discharge there. And it does tend to change over the course of the uh, menstrual cycle. So at different times of the cycle, it might be a bit thicker or thinner or look a bit different. Mm. Um, and it's also affected by contraception as well. So mm. if somebody starts a new method of contraception, they'll probably notice that their discharge changes a bit too and it can change over the course of life really with different ages it can mm. change a bit as well and mm. um, so just dis- discharge in general we're not too worried about but if there's been a sudden change and that's when we start to wonder if there might be something else um going on to to cause that Brilliant. so um what kind of changes then might you see what might the patient be um complaining about when they see you so they might mention a change in colour, so um, most normal physiological discharge would be clear or white but they might notice it becomes green or yellow um, or it might even become a bit blood stained or they might notice a change in the consistency so it might suddenly become thicker or thinner or lumpy um, or it might be itchy or sore or um, it might have a change of smell as well. So they're the types of things that people generally come in concerned about. And they might think that, oh gosh, something's changed, I must have an STI. Yes, that is usually what they think. So they think, oh, I must have chlamydia or gonorrhea because something's changed. And actually, most women won't have any symptoms um, with chlamydia or gonorrhea. They won't notice a change in discharge. So it's usually something else. Um, So it can be an infection, um, but it might not be a sexually transmitted infection. It could be something like thrush or bacterial vaginosis. It might be that they've changed washing practices. So if they've started washing a lot more than normal, Mm. That can often increase their discharge because it irritates the um, vagina and the vulva. I usually say to people that the skin in the vagina is a bit like the skin inside our eyes. So if we start putting lots of water and soaps and everything into that, then it'll water and it's a bit like that with discharge. So if you're washing it an awful lot, you end up with more discharge. Sometimes they can have a foreign body stuck in there. So a retained tampon or a bit of a condom that's burst and stayed inside or other unusual things. Um, sometimes it can be from a fistula, so either from the uh, rectum or from the bladder, so they, it might not be discharge, it might actually be faeces or urine that they're noticing, that's obviously mm. less common. And sometimes it can be from a growth, so they might have a growth on their cervix um, which is causing a discharge, or they might have a degenerating fibroid or something like that. So. Um, they're the different types of things. Most likely it will be thrush or bacterial vaginosis, so they're the most common ones and BV is the most common cause of a change in discharge. Um, and usually actually from just taking the history and examining them you can have a pretty good idea about what's going on and often in the sexual health clinic we'll be able to 
decide on the day what it is and give them some treatment. We'll still send off the, the swabs to confirm, mm. um, but usually actually the history and examination can give you some really good clues as to what it is that's going on. Um, and so what features in the history are going to help you think, uh, decide what's going on? So if they mention that there's been a change in the smell, then in that instance it's more likely to be bactericidiosis or trichomonas, and they tend to smell uh, fishy or a bit of a musty smell, mm. so that would give you a clue that it might be one of those. Um, bactericidiosis as well as the smell tends to be um, thin and a sort of white grey colour and mm. people will notice quite an increase in their discharge and the smell is usually worse after sex and after their period just because the blood and the semen are more alkaline and so that just increases the so it's already alkaline when you've got BV and then that makes it worse so the oh, smell okay. gets worse at that time um, but it's generally not sore or itchy with BV mm. but with trichomonas it's smelly um, but it's tends to also be itchy and sore because you get uh, um, vulvovaginitis with okay. that as well. So they might also have some dysuria, um, some so superficial dysuria because the vulva is irritated or they might have a superficial dyspareunia as well. And although classically it's meant to be frothy and yellow, actually often the discharge doesn't look frothy and yellow at all. Less than a third of people will have that. So it might be thick, it might be thin. Um, we don't necessarily um, know just from how it looks with TV. Okay. Um, with thrush, it's more likely to be that thick, white, lumpy discharge, that cottage cheese discharge that people often talk about, mm. um, and they tend to be a bit itchy and sore as well, and that can be just around the vulva, or it can be in the vagina, or it can be both, and again, because of that irritation to the vulva, they might have some dysuria or some superficial dyspareunia. Uh, then if we're thinking about STIs, then they might notice that they've just got a general increase in discharge and they might have some abdo pain or some deep dyspareunia if we're thinking mm. about pelvic inflammatory disease. Gonorrhea can sometimes look like a yellow-greeny discharge, but as I said, most women will actually be asymptomatic with it. And if it's a bloodstain discharge, then that would point you more um, thinking about that there might be some inflammation of the cervix, which could be due to an STI, um, or it could be uh, cervical cancer, although that's obviously much less common. Mm. Or also quite a lot of the progesterone-only methods of contraception will give a bit of a bloody-looking discharge, so it might just be their contraception and not anything related to infection. Um, and then I guess also then from the history you're just wanting to look at different risk factors for the different infections to try and guide you as to what it might be. Okay. And so what are the uh, different risk factors? So for the STIs, so trichomonas, chlamydia, gonorrhea, then if they've got a new sexual partner that would be a risk factor and chlamydia and gonorrhea are particularly common in the under 25s. Um, in Nottingham about 1 in 10 under 25 sexually active people have chlamydia so it's very common. Um, so age is definitely a risk factor there. Mm. With um, thrush, if, some, if you've picked up from the medical history that somebody's got diabetes or that they're pregnant then they're risk factors or if they've been using any perfumed products on the vulva um, or if they are prone to wearing sort of very tight synthetic clothing because mm. um, thrush likes a warm moist environment to okay. grow so if there's no air circulating that can make that worse. Um, and BV has quite a few risk factors so a lot of it's to do with washing practices so douching the vagina so we should never ever be cleaning inside the vagina but some people do um, and that can upset the balance of the bacteria there so no water no soaps or anything should be going in there um, if they're a smoker if they're of black ethnicity um, and then interestingly with BV although it's not um, at the moment classified as an STI if they've had a recent change in sexual partner or if they've had 
receptive cunnilingus, which is receiving oral sex, um, then that's also associated with BV. So probably something about those changes, the microbial film within the vagina, and that's what causes it. But um, as I say, not classed as an STI, but is related to some um, sex mm. acts. Mm. Um, is there any relationship between antibiotics and thrush? So if somebody's been on a broad spectrum antibiotics, then yes, that would be another risk factor for um, thrush. They're more prone to it after that. Um, so we've got our history from our patient. Uh, so then we're coming into thinking about examination and investigations. So what examinations and tests do we need to do? Yeah, so we want to have a look at the, the vulva first of all. So see if there's any discharge on the outside that we can see if the vulva itself looks inflamed. If it looks like they've been scratching, so if there's any excoriations, um, you might see some fissures with thrush, or sometimes you might see some ulcers. So occasionally people with herpes present saying that they have discharge mm. um, just from the, the lesions uh, weeping. So you might see some ulcers. Mm. Um, then in terms of what you would do next, now in practice what we would then do next would be a vulvovaginal swab to check for chlamydia and gonorrhea, which is the first line test. But any uh, Nottingham medical students, I have <laughs> been told, I have to let you know um, that for exam purposes um, you are still doing it the, the older way and so you would not do a vulvovaginal swab in your exam but in practice when you're finished and you're qualified you do a vulval vaginal swab first for chlamydia and gonorrhea. Well remembered. Um, and then speculum examination, first of all have a look and see if there's any foreign body there. Um, have a look at the vaginal walls and see if it looks irritated if there's a vaginitis which might suggest thrush or trichomonas. Have a look at the cervix and see if the cervix looks inflamed, if there's any abnormalities that you're concerned about there, if you can see any growths, hopefully not. Um, occasionally you might see some herpetic lesions on the cervix, although that's not very common. And a strawberry cervix, which is essentially just when the cervix looks like it's got lots of little red dots all mm -hmm. over it, um, that's classical of trichomonas, but actually, we, again, we don't often actually see that when we examine. But if you did, then you'd be thinking trichomonas. And then you would do a high vaginal swab, um, which would look for um, bacterial vaginosis, thrush and trichomonas. Um, if you are out with a sexual health service, then you would just take a MCNS swab for that, so an Amy's charcoal swab. Um, but if you were somewhere with microscopy, then you could um, make some slides to have a look for that. And then an endocervical swab for um, MCNS if you suspect gonorrhea. And so for the medical students, that would be an endocervical swab, for example, purposes for chlamydia and gonorrhea hmm. and if you suspected PID then you'd want to do a bimanual as well just to assess for any signs of uh, pain. Cool uh, and so that's our uh, history that's our examination so how are we now going to diagnose and, and manage any infections the patient might have? So if we maybe go through the different infections, so for thrush what we would want to do would be a high vaginal swab which we take from the anterior fornix ideally. Um, if you have access to a microscope then you could do either a wet film or a gram stain and you'd be looking for hyphen spores under the microscope. Or if not, then you could send off an MCNS either by charcoal swab or on a, a plate or a, or a broth, depending on what you have. Um, and then we'd advise them that it's not a sexually transmitted infection. It's something that most women will get at some stage in their life, some, some more than others. 
partner doesn't need to be notified or treated and there's some general lifestyle things that they can do to try and prevent getting thrush again in the future so avoiding tight fitting clothing avoiding using soaps and perfumed products on the vulva um, and sometimes switching to washing with an emollient um, like aqueous cream or cetraban something like that mm. um, as a soap substitute and then we would treat that with one of the azoles and they're all equally effective and um, you can either have oral so that would be a fluconazole tablet that they could have or you could use a clitrimazole uh, cream or pessary um, the oral fluconazole is contraindicated in pregnancy but otherwise it's a bit on personal preference really mm. um, and sometimes if there's quite a bit of vulvitis then you might want to use um, clitrimazole mixed with hydrocortisone so something like caniston HC just mm. to help reduce the irritation and inflammation and the, and the scratching while that settles down. Mm. And then if we think about BV um, again we would do a high vaginal swab and if you had microscopy then you could do either a wet film or a gram stain looking for clue cells. Um, if you have pH paper then you can uh, use that and you'd have a higher pH than normal so the pH would be over 4.5 um, but otherwise again just sending off a charcoal swab for MCNS to the lab. Mm. Again with BV it's not a sexually transmitted infection so the partner doesn't need treated um, and I advise them that really it's to do with an imbalance in the bacteria in the vagina so if they have been um, washing excessively or douching then explaining that actually that's what's caused it mm. and sometimes people get into a vicious cycle because they've got a smell so then they wash more and then the smell gets worse and then they wash more so trying to break that cycle. Um, we treat it usually with oral metronidazole um, or a metronidazole gel or um, second line option would be a clindamycin cream mm. and just remind people that they can't have any alcohol while they're using metronidazole and for 40 hours afterwards. Um, TV again a high vaginal swab so thrush bacterial vaginosis TV they're all um, vaginal infections so we're taking high vaginal swabs for them um, and if again if you have microscopy you can have a look and you might see some trichomonads swimming around um, on the screen which is lovely mm. um, but if not then you might work somewhere where you can have a trichomonas PCR test and send that away um, if not then it would be an MCNS swab again and a few places will have point of care um, trichomonas tests as well which look a bit like a pregnancy test mm. um, it is a sexually transmitted infection so we'd advise screening for other STIs um, any sexual contacts from the last four weeks should be also treated for trichomonas um, and they should also be screened for other sexually transmitted infections and advise no sex until seven days after both of them have been treated. Um, and again, we use metronidazole um, as our first line choice for TV, the same as bacterial vaginosis, or if not, then tinidazole, and so the same advice about alcohol um, mm. for that. Um, then thinking about chlamydia, so chlamydia is the most common bacterial STI. There's no test that we can do on the day to check for chlamydia, so we have to send away a NAT test. Um, so that's a nucleic acid amplification test. Um, and as I said, in general now we do a vulval vaginal swab and that's because it will pick up secretions from the vagina, the cervix, the urethra and potentially also the rectum, which is where chlamydia can live. Um, but for exam purposes, go for an endocervical swab. If somebody has a positive test then you need to make sure that they know that it is a sexually transmitted infection um, their partners need to be notified and tested and treated um, and generally we look back about six months for partner notification for chlamydia. Um, in terms of 
what we use for treatment, um, I'm a bit reluctant to talk too much about doses because they keep changing at the mm. moment, but today um, the current uh, recommended treatment would be seven weeks of doxycycline. So we used to use azithromycin until quite recently, but because um, we're seeing more mycoplasma genitalium um, and there's a lot of resistance to azithromycin, we're moving away from using azithromycin. So a week of doxycycline, um, that's contraindicated in pregnancy, so we would give a week of erythromycin instead mm -hmm. and again no sex until both partners are treated and then general advice about regular screening safe sex um, and also advising them that they can get chlamydia again it's unfortunately not one of these things that once you get once you don't get it again mm. and the more times they have it the more likely they are to have problems with um, fertility and things in the future mm -hmm. um, and then finally uh, gonorrhea so again we do a NAP test for gonorrhea um, if we st suspect that there might be gonorrhea, then we'd also want to do a culture um, of the cervix and the urethra. We've got a lot of problems with gonorrhea resistance, um, and so the treatment for gonorrhea has changed quite a bit over the last few years. It's just about to change again, um, so I'm not going to say what we're treating that with until the new <laughs> guidance comes out, because otherwise it'll be wrong within the next few weeks what I say. Um, but essentially, if we at all suspect gonorrhea, we need to do a culture so that we can check for sensitivities and make sure that they've been given appropriate treatment. Um, mm -hmm. And if you do have a microscope, then you can do a gram stain um, and what you would see would be gram negative intracellular diplococci. Otherwise, we send the tests away. So same as chlamydia, we need to do um, partner notification, uh, testing and treatment um, and advise them no sex until both partners are treated. Um, and for gonorrhea, that one actually have to come back for a test of cure two weeks later. And that's to do with the problems with resistance again. Okay. I, you, you keep hearing every now and then in the in the media, especially the tabloid media, that we have a super gonorrhea now, especially yes. in Leeds, which seems to have, yes. which um, my students seem to say, oh yeah, Leeds has it, so don't ever sleep with anybody from, <laughs> from Leeds. Leeds yeah. Is this, a, you know, started in Japan or so, I don't know, you hear these Yeah, rude, it did uh, come over from Asia, so it is, it is actually a big problem. It so is a big problem. So it's not that the media are over-egging this, it really is a big problem, and that's why we're so careful that before we treat anybody, we do culture them first, so we know what they're going to be sensitive mm. to. Um, um, and that's why the treatment keeps changing and that's why at the moment I don't want to say what the treatment <laughs> is because by the time you listen to this it might well be different yeah. so read the current BASH guidelines yeah. to know what the treatment is going to be um, mm. but yes it, it is genuinely a big problem um, so we Are need we to be very careful um, we haven't seen any cases here yet but Leeds is not so far away um, so we, we need to just be mindful of that Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, can it be treated? Super, I don't know, going slightly off topic, but yeah. this so-called um, super gonorrhea, can it be treated? So so people have managed to be treated, okay. um, but the treatments are difficult. Uh, some of them have to be brought in from overseas and things, so wow. they're not standard things that we have here. Um, and so it's tricky. So try not to get gonorrhea would be my general advice. Use a condom. Um, That'd be a good poster. But in terms of, from a medical point of view, just make sure we're culturing anybody that we think might yeah. have it before we're giving any antibiotics and okay. um, so that we're not making the situation any worse and you mentioned BASH what is BASH? Ah yes yeah. so BASH is the British Association for Sexual Health and HIV so they have all the different guidelines about um, STIs so including their management but also including what tests to do and, and what to be looking out for for them cool. um, they have a website I'm assuming they do BASH.org there you go BASH.org <laughs> brilliant uh, anything else Katie? 
No, I think that's everything that's that from the, Vaginal Discharge. That was the Vaginal Discharge podcast. <laughs> Never thought I'd say that. Uh, thanks very much, Katie. Thanks. Bye-bye. That was the Take Orally Vaginal Discharge podcast. Remember, you can find the blog entry, including notes for this podcast at takeorally.com. Remember, you can subscribe to Take Orally on both uh, SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information about um, research and education opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine, major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter, as well as you can also find Take Orally on both Facebook and Twitter.